It's episode 99 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Veen. Today on the program is Maria D'Amato. She's the head of experience design at the Austin, Texas-based design agency GSDNM. We're going to talk about crafting a career in the agency world and the role of experience design in advertising. Hey, Maria, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am such a fan of uh, Austin, Texas. I haven't been there in so long, but, uh, you know, um, like many people in our industry, like the South by Southwest conference, which is so uh, formative for me. Like I started going way back in the 90s and saw it grow and um, came to love hanging out in South Congress and like staying at the Hotel San Jose and all of that stuff. Absolutely. I, I love South it. South by Southwest is such a magical time of year in Austin. Austin, Texas. It's odd to say that about the springtime and not the Christmas time that we're currently in. But the energy that that conference brings to this city is just incredible. And it's one of my favorite times of year. We really missed it this last year. So strange to have that canceled. I bet. Um, And the, the fact that there's this interesting sort of overlap between an interactive festival and a music festival always brought so much energy to it too. And you could tell too, like, just like you'd be walking down the street and going like, Oh, the music people are showing up now. <laughs> That's <laughs> always my very favorite day is when interactive is ending and music is starting and seeing the juxtaposition of the people coming in and out of town is fantastic. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, uh, have you been there for a while? You've been at uh, G- uh, GSDNM for a while. And I know they've been in Austin since like the 60s or early 70s or something. Yeah, we'll be celebrating our 50th anniversary next year. So early 70s was when the agency was founded and um, founded by some University of Texas alumni, huh. started the agency here in Austin and haven't left. Um, and I have been in Austin for about 10 years now. And at GSDNM for about six. Oh, that's great! Wow, like fifty years of an agency—that's that's impressive. That's re- it, I mean, it is. It, it's, it's kind almost of unheard un- of. I was going to say unprecedented. Yeah, like um, I, I uh, especially with and and I know that there's been sort of acquire acquisitions and you know and everything that happens in the agency world, but holding on to a brand like that for for so long it's is kind of inspiring in the especially in the tech world, you know, where mm-hmm. like. Uh, companies grow huge and have exits in four or five years. And then they, you know, another part of Google or another part of whatever, but, um, but 50 years of a, of a brand doing good work the whole time. It's, that's really impressive. It's really impressive. And it's, it also, uh, speaks to some of the relationships we have. We've been Southwest airlines has been our client for almost 40 years. Uh, the two brands kind of grew up together in Texas, which is just a a really fun story to get to see how those two grew up and, and became such big presences here and broadly. Yeah. And especially a brand like that, which is both, uh, had so much consistency, but also such a, so much affinity. I mean, it's just a, right. Like the, absolutely. And and as much to do as a a reflection of the experience of flying Southwest and, you know, all of that really like fulfilling the promise, I think of what a lot of brand agencies aspire to. Absolutely. Southwest has been doing customer experience at the pinnacle of that discipline long before it was a discipline. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. All right. So you've been there, Well, actually let me back up. Why, Why don't you, uh, give me sort of a, the arc of your career, like, um, and how you got to where you are. Um, I think that's a really interesting way of helping designers, especially earlier in their career, think about what kind of options 
they might have and how they think about it. Sure. My path definitely has an arc. <laughs> it was not a direct line to where I am. I went to art school. Uh, I have a fine arts degree and my specialization was metalwork and jewelry design. Oh, cool. um, I kind of knew that I didn't want to make fine art the way that I also made money. I wanted to keep it uh, a little bit more for myself. So after college, uh, I actually took a sales job. I was doing uh, what we'll call business to business sales, which uh -huh. was really door to door sales, <laughs> <laughs> selling office supplies. Um, it was pretty miserable in terms of the day to day, but I actually learned so much about how to talk to people who for, you know, a 22 year old art school graduate who had a sure. little bit of my nose in the air about the world and life and knew everything. That was incredibly valuable, learning how to talk to all kinds of different people and learning how to sell things and learning that selling is is just as much about yourself as, as the product. And those mm. are lessons that have really, really served me well over my career. So while that job was the least glamorous job you could possibly <laughs> imagine, it was really, really valuable to me. Um, that being said, after uh, about a, a year, I moved on and actually just went back to waiting tables and bartending and working in restaurants, which I had done for a long time in college and before college. I was working in fine dining. Uh, I was managing a couple of, I managed a couple of different restaurants within a restaurant group and learned how to lead people and how to manage a team and how to work with really diverse types of people. You know, chefs are notoriously difficult to work with. And, and that experience gave me a lot of leadership abilities and a lot of skills in, in terms of managing people. And again, it's about working with people. So I got to a point with that, that I, I knew I needed to move on and I wanted to do something get back to being creative. And I had managed a couple of people, this was in Atlanta, who went to the Creative Circus, which is a portfolio school in Atlanta that's oh. geared towards creating an advertising portfolio. And that was really the first time that I realized you could have a career where you got to be creative and get paid for it, and it wasn't fine art. Uh, so <laughs> that was fascinating. And had I known that sooner in life, uh, things might have been different. But uh, I, t I went to the Creative Circus. I enrolled in their Design for Advertising program. And it was a, it was a natural fit. I loved it. I loved applying creativity uh, to, to brands. To I loved learning about uh, companies and industries and applying design and art skills to those things. So I took... From there, I took a couple of internships. I took one with a small branding firm in Atlanta, which is where I kind of assumed my career would go. You know, print design was cool. You got to play with textures. You mm. got to play with inks. It was flashy and dimensional in a physical manner. And then I also took a internship with a design company. They were called Engage at the time and ended up loving that far more than I would have imagined. It was a digital company. And so we were doing websites and the layers of design and how things moved and how you could design how people interacted with them and, sure. and solve real, more, I don't know, richer problems in my mind uh, was really enticing. So that is where I decided to lean in. I 
I ended up taking a job out in Austin with a company called Schematic uh -huh. that was uh, later acquired by the company Possible Worldwide, which is more on the advertising side of things. But when I was with Schematic, we were kind of in that space between design and advertising. So that was my first taste of, of transitioning from one to the other. I stayed there for a couple of years. And then when they were acquired, I decided to make the move over to GSD&M, which is the largest advertising agency in Austin. It's been around for 50 years, as we were talking about and just has a really incredible reputation within the city and, and within the, the country as well. So let, can I, if I can, um, I want to I go back to the creative circus. I'm, I'm not familiar with them. Um, it might be my experiences more on the West Coast with uh, intera interactive design. But a portfolio school is not something that I would be able to define myself. Like what they teach you how to like... I'm sorry. Maybe you should just tell me. I can't quite. <laughs> <laughs> they teach you all of it. And I think uh, what's really valuable about going to a portfolio school rather than, say, a, traditional's ma a traditional master's program mm -hmm. or even a, an art program is it's a place that is very geared towards the skills that you need in your career working as an as a creative. And I think they apply it as an advertising creative or a design creative um, right from the beginning you are presenting your work every week to a panel of, to your teachers, to your peers. It's not a critique, but it's an actual presentation. Mm -hmm. You start honing those skills right from the beginning. And I think, as, as I'm sure you know, the, your ability to present and sell your work is really one of the things that differentiates uh, you as a creative. And I, and I think differentiates how far you'll get in your career as a creative. So they're teaching those skills right from the beginning. Uh, in the design program, you start with the basics. You start with typo typography. You start with color, layout, composition. We do we did less with design software because uh -huh. it was more about learning the basics and learning also how to talk about the basics. So uh, I remember one of the the infamous teachers there is a woman named Sylvia Gaffney, and her class was. The one where if you got through, you were probably going to make it through the program. <laughs> but maybe 30% of students didn't get through that class. It was intense. And one project in particular, we we're working with black and white paper and had to create a 24 by 36 poster. And she gave us a Native American tribe and an animal. And we had to research those two things, come up with a composition of that animal in the style of that tribe, uh -huh. and create it out of cut paper. Uh -huh. So those were the types of assignments that you started doing. Yeah. And it really got you to understand how to research a brand, if mm -hmm. you will, mm -hmm. how to understand uh, your medium and understand composition. And then the whole time you're talking through what you're doing with your your classmates and your professor and selling that thinking and selling that work. Right, right. That crafting of the narrative, I think, in any creative practice is something that, um, that yeah, like you said, is really the pathway kind of up in your career, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Huh, that's great. And you also mentioned uh, something that I find really interesting uh, in your job in the restaurants, which is... Um, if I can paraphrase, kind of putting structure around an incredibly creative process and working with incredibly creative people who might bristle against constraint. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my the co-founder of the company we started years ago, um, uh, and my great friend Brian, uh, he's been on this podcast, but his background was in theater. Uh, and particularly in stage management, like, uh-huh. right. And, and he tells all these stories of very, very creative people that all have to be in the exact right spot at a particular time every day. And yeah. that was his whole job, right? Like yeah. that curtain is going up and you're going to be over there and you're going to be at the board and like, and all of that, um, uh, primarily with a group of people who could care less. Like I'm, <laughs> exactly. all they want is the applause really at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, but the, like your schedule and your budget, like I don't really care. Um, so that's really interesting that you had, uh, uh, what it sounds like a similar experience in, um, in dining. Absolutely. You're constantly wrangling people. Um, dinner has to get served in fine dining and it has to be beautiful and the experience has to be elegant. And there's a lot of moving pieces that go into that. And that is true for creating work in advertising and especially the kind of work that me and my team, one of the kinds of work that me and my team specialize in, which is uh, experiential, where you have an event and there are thousands of moving pieces and details that all have to happen exactly right and on time and in order for the experience to be what the vision is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll ask you more about that, but I want to take a really quick break right now uh, and and talk about one of our sponsors. This this episode uh, that we're doing here is brought to you by our friends at Pingdom from Solar Winds. Uh, when you've been listening, while you've been listening to this podcast, uh, would you know if your website had gone down? Uh, would you know if your customers couldn't click the buy now button or access your content? Uh, you might stumble across that problem by luck, but um, but you really need a system. Uh, you need something to tell you everything is running smoothly across your site and more importantly, when it's not. Uh, and that's what you need Pingdom for. Pingdom detects uh, every month 13 million outages across all of their customers. That's like 400,000 outages a day. Uh, so they work really hard to keep your sites and all of the sites you love uh, online all of the time. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need the alerts about critical website issues. They will let you customize how you're alerted uh, depending on the severity of the outage. Plus, they'll track and analyze your website's load time. And uh, and we all know uh, how much speed can affect user experience of a website. Um, so if you have a, a site of any size, try out Pingdom. Uh, they have this no-fuss approach to getting started. All they need is a URL of what you want to monitor. They'll do everything else. Uh, you go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM uh, right now, and you can try it out for 14 days without uh, a credit card or anything. Uh, if you do sign up, you can use the code PRESENTABLE at checkout, and they'll take 30% off your first invoice, which is great. So thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds uh, for their support of this show. And Relay FM. Uh, all right, Maria. Thanks. I think we're still online. Good. Uh, yes. So we. <laughs> um, so uh, we got up to the point where you uh, were in Austin and joined the agency. I did. I I actually am uh, what we call a boomerang. So I left GSDNM for a couple of years after uh-huh. a few years and joined when RGA opened their Austin office. I joined them to lead their design practice. Mm-hmm. Did that for a couple of years and then came back to GSDNM when experience design was getting off the ground there. Got it. Got it. But at GSDNM, when you first started, what was your role then? When I first started, my role was just designer. Um, I was by default 
the the digital design lead because we didn't have other digital designers or designers with a digital background. But at GSDNM, the range of projects is really, really broad for any creative. And it's certainly true for designers because it's a smaller group within the creative department. So I did everything from logo design and traditional branding work to posters and print collateral to designing uh, our annual South by Southwest party and what the experience of that might be like, as well as starting to get into websites and and interactive experiences in that first go round that's gotten a lot heavier in this this latter time. But there's a one one of those things is not like the other, right? Like, so <laughs> exactly. so doing logos and posters and stuff, but then a party. Like, yeah. How, tell me about that. It's interesting. It's always our South by Southwest party is is a big part of what GSTNM does as its own brand um, in terms uh-huh. of being a big presence in Austin and being a presence in the broader world of design and technology. And so it's really important to us. And I think what's consistent, no matter the medium that you're working in for a designer, is you're creating a representation of a brand in a space. And right. that's true as an experience, a physical event is- experience, and that's true through an interface. It's just a matter of having a little bit of a different skill set and a different tool palette uh, to bring those things to life. But I think the thing that got me in the door to be one of the people who got to design our agency parties was uh, a pitch that we were doing. It was a new business opportunity we had. We were pitching this take and bake pizza brand. So you'd go to the restaurant, pick up the pizza and you'd take it home and bake it. Um, you may have picked up from my name, Maria D'Amato. I have a t- <laughs> I've got an Italian background. Mm-hmm. My family loves to cook. I've cooked a lot of pizzas. So I was naturally drawn to this pitch and I saw it. I was young. This was, I was still just a designer and I, w- I had an idea to build a giant takeaway pizza in our rotunda So the building has this huge, probably 15-foot in diameter rotunda in the middle of the building. So we bought all these ingredients, built this eight-foot in diameter giant pizza in the middle of our lobby for when the pitch was going to happen. And I designed the... We put a message on it. So I got to design the typography and create some, you know, a really beautiful visual display. We made all of our letters. We printed out these gigantic templates and turn those into the way that we wrote the letter forms onto this pizza in toppings. So we're talking like cheddar cheese drop shadows, that kind of thing. And uh, we didn't win the business, but everybody in the office knew my name at that point. Maybe they didn't know my name, but they knew me as the girl who made the giant pizza in the lobby that we all got to eat for quite a few days. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, that was inadvertently my first step into experiential and just thinking about how to create a representation of that brand in a physical manner. So that's what got me invited into the meetings to start being part of the the event planning at the agency and, and later got me into doing events for our clients. And I think, you know, the takeaway there for a young designer is if you're excited about an idea, even if it doesn't seem to be in your wheelhouse or seems a little outlandish, go and pitch it. If if you're excited and you have good leadership, they're probably going to get excited about it too. Interesting. Interesting. And and it also sounds like there was a, a, a bit of a, I don't know, hierarchy, like designers pitching to um, 
leadership who then are pitching to the clients. I'm, there's got to be a little bit of like, you know, kind of gaming out the, the system when you, when you think about that, like wh- what is going to get my pitch all the way up in front of the client, um, uh, especially when you're earlier in your career, yeah? Absolutely. And I think new business is one of those rare opportunities where you get to circumvent the system. Mm. You get, because at least at GSDNM and, and most of the agencies I've worked at, it, executive leadership is always involved in new in the new business process. So if you walk into that meeting, you get the ears of the C-suite in a way that you would never normally get as a designer, a junior designer, a junior art director, whatever your title may be. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about then the progress towards uh, leadership yourself in the head of a department or a practice uh, rather and, um, yeah. and how you navigated that. Yeah. I, so when I left GSDNM to take the role at RGA, that was my first foray into formal leadership within agencies. I had done it at restaurants and because I had done it in restaurants, it was, it was a pretty natural transition, even though on paper, I hadn't been a designer all that long. Um, and so it was a little intimidating to go and take a role where I was building a practice for a world-renowned agency in sure. a brand new city. Um, you know, I think as designers, we all fight that imposter syndrome thing all the time <laughs> with every decision we make. And that was certainly one of the times when it was flaring up. But I knew that I, I knew how to lead people and I knew I knew how to manage work and I knew I was a very good designer and I wanted to be in an environment that was fresh and new and where I got to have a seat at the table. So it was really just, I saw the opportunity and I, I ran for it. Um, and it worked out. <laughs> uh, I got to build a team with RGA Austin and do some really great work and learn so much that that organization is full of so many smart people. Um, and real, and even learn about different types of work. The Austin office was focused uh, a bit more on social media and social media campaigns, mm which at the time weren't as much a part of the landscape as they are now. So it was more of a specialty. Mm-hmm. So that was a really fascinating experience and opportunity. And so when GSDNM came knocking to tell me that they had a new discipline, I felt totally confident that I could go and take on that opportunity and and take a leadership role at an agency that I, I really, really loved and which is such a, a real part of the Austin community and the city of Austin and an, an amazing representation of what Austin is all about. So it was very exciting to get that opportunity to go and have a seat at that table. Yeah. So, and then you were building a new practice. Is that, is that right? This, um, experience design at an agency that didn't have that yet. And so, yeah, um, exactly. How'd that come about? <laughs> you know, I don't know who at GSDNM decided that they needed this new discipline, because when I got there, there were very few people who could have told you what I was doing, uh, which I <laughs> expected. And a lot of what I, I did in those first couple of years was, was help people understand what we were bringing to the table, the value we were bringing, how to turn that into business value for our clients as well as for the agency. Um, but I think it was just a natural transition in the type of ask that our clients were bringing to us at GSDNM that made our Chief Creative Officer, our president and our CEO know that we needed to start a a new discipline, something that was focused on interaction, that was focused on the types, these new types of asks that our clients were bringing to us. 
Interesting. And so what types of, what, what were they asking for? Like, how was that changing? And, 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 you know, where'd the need come from? The most obvious things for most clients and for some of the people even within the agency were, were, was web work, was websites, interactive experiences, mobile experiences, things of that nature. So mm-hmm. within my team, we've got a great group of designers who are focused on web design, systematic design, UX and, and UI. And so there's that side of things. We also had a lot of clients who were starting to come to us with experiential asks. They wanted to have a presence at events. They wanted to have a presence at things like South by Southwest. Mm. And I had kind of built a name for myself <laughs> in that. Pizza, right. <laughs> with the pizza, with our agency parties. Um, so I had a, an experience in that. And I think when people heard experience design, some of them naturally assumed that was experiential. And we just kind of took it all in. Anything that was unusual or out of the ordinary, we encouraged our account team to bring to us and let us figure out how to solve that problem. So we've got a really diverse set of skills within the team very intentionally so that we can solve the broadest array of problems. Interesting. Um, that is that just that last part there, the, the broadest set of problems is something that I, so I did uh, some professional services client work for five or six years in my career. Uh, and one of the things that I struggled with uh, or found an interesting tension in is the the appeal of the diversity of the type of work you get to do in client services mm-hmm. um, as opposed, uh, or again, in tension with the longevity of what you can achieve, mm-hmm. which I found then later a little bit more attractive in product work where I yeah. could work on a really hard problem for four or five years and really get to know an audience or a set of customers, set of users and things like that. Um, and I know there's some degree of that, like you had a Southwest as a client for 30 years or 40 years, or, but that, that to me was, was a juxtaposition with, with client work and, you know, in-house, I guess we could call it, but Absolutely. I, I don't know, what's that been like for you? For me, it's been really fantastic to be able to have a really broad set of types of work that I, I deliver to our clients. I think for a young designer as well, mm. it's really fan, a really fantastic environment to be in because you get to try so many different types of things and figure out what it is that you're genuinely great at and play to those skills uh, not everybody on my team came in with a specialization, but we've kind of honed in on the things that they're great at over time and allowed that them to be generalists who also have a specialty. And I think that's really unique to being in an agency where you have lots of different clients and lots of different types of projects available to you. Mm-hmm. It is very different from being a product designer uh, and working on one thing consistently over time. And I can totally see the attraction in that. Um, we do get tastes of it, you're right, because we have these longer relationships in Southwest and also with the U.S. Air Force. We're on our second 10-year uh, contract with them. Oh. And so we we really know their audience and we really know that brand inside and out. So we'd get a taste of it. It's not the same, but there is some overlap there. I'm just reacting to like the, the idea of the Air Force as a brand, which obviously it is. Like I could probably hum some of the jingles that I heard as a kid for the <laughs> Army and the Marines and stuff like that. But at the same time, of like, yeah, brand campaigns for military uh, is, I don't know, just it kind of just struck me. Yeah, it's really interesting. We do, and we do some of our 
most exciting work for them, as surprising as that may be to some people. We actually do a ton of work for them out of my team. Oh, interesting. And yeah, because they are the most technologically advanced branch of the U.S. military, they really want to recruit uh, people who are interested in technology, people who are tinkerers, people who could become engineers or cybersecurity experts, hmm. people who have that interest. And so we actually get to create really rich, um, interesting experiences for the U.S. Air Force that are rooted in technology. And we get to play with uh, augmented and virtual reality a lot cool. for them. Yeah. We've created really rich VR experiences for them. And everything we do needs to have a bit of a tech bent in order to talk to this audience. Right. So it's actually one of my favorite clients to work on. Ah, that's really cool. Uh, that's great. Um, let me take another quick break, uh, and then we'll get right back to it. Uh, this episode of Presentable is also brought to you by the IntraZone podcast from Microsoft about SharePoint. Um, look, if you're looking for something to listen to, especially if you you know got a little time off uh, over the break uh, at the end of the year here, the IntraZone is a bi-weekly podcast uh, with conversations and interviews on how Microsoft SharePoint, OneDrive, and other related tech uh, can work for you. Um, you get to hear from guests, experts, behind the scenes, uh, out in the field, all kinds of stuff they do. Uh, you see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life, how, how you can easily share and manage content and knowledge and applications and uh, everything you need to keep your team running, especially now that uh, so many of us are remote. They do news and announcements, a focused topic each week, guest perspectives, FAQs and, and upcoming events. Uh, so you have an idea of what to expect. There are uh, lots of stuff uh, that uh, they've just covered on previous episodes. They've discussed, like I said, working from home. Um, uh, also figuring out how to build an intelligent intranet for your organization. They did an episode talking about APIs uh, for SharePoint and uh, another one just focused on teamwork. Uh, I just listened to an episode where they were talking to some of the team from Black & Decker, you know, that company that makes the power tools, um, about like a nine terabyte internal document migration they had to do, um, the level of coordination they had to pull off was really remarkable. So go check it out. Uh, search for the IntraZone. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, um, yeah, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, you can go check it out. Thanks to IntraZone from Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right. Uh, so you were talking a little bit about... Uh, one of the benefits of an agency being that young designers get to be exposed to a bunch of different um, types of projects to see what really resonates with them. Um, I think there, there's a little challenge there also, I know from running an agency that that can lead to a bit of a revolving door, you know, as you have young designers go like, Oh my God, this is so much fun. And then they go do that. Right. So, sure. um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious a little bit about that, like how you cr create a environment, uh, for, that really like keeps people motivated to, to stay on the team and, and engage in the great work. Uh, and also a little bit around coaching and mentoring. I wonder if we could talk about that too. Yeah, absolutely. Coaching and mentoring is really important to me. And I think that is probably the thing that keeps my team uh, with me the, mm -hmm. as long as most of them do stay. Um, because we, we do give them the a lot of room to explore and to find the things that they're good at. And I find that as long as we can continue to feed that curiosity, we tend to hire folks who 
who are really curious, who want to learn a lot of different yeah. things. And so making sure that we've got that fit right from the beginning helps. And as long as we can continue to provide a breadth of types of work to feed that curiosity, as well as enough in their the thing that they've specialized in. So for instance, I've got a guy on my team who's been focused on uh, developing AR experiences. Uh And with AR being such a big part of what's happening on social media now, we've been really able to feed him lots and lots of that work. But he's also on lots of other types of work. So he's really getting to play with both sides of his creative spectrum. And I think that people find that really fulfilling. Um, So between that and them knowing that they've got a, a, a really supportive team, a really supportive agency that allows them the room to have that creativity and to play and to experiment and to learn new things, as well as a dedicated coach and mentor in myself, it's an atmosphere that you don't get everywhere. And I think we've created something that's a little unique. And when it is time for somebody to move on, if there's something they're excited about, we fully support it. Mm. You know, uh, It's totally okay to go <laughs> and try something new. And we're also an agency full of boomerangs. There are so many people who've left, done something else, gained some new, skill, some new skills, and then wanted to come back to our agency. And we oftentimes are welcome that. So tell me a little bit about the, the mentorship relationship and what a, a designer earlier in their career might be looking for. They probably mm-hmm. don't know. So like, what should they be kind of looking for? Yeah, I think the things that I'm most able to help people with, I think people get lots of critique on their work. They get lots of feedback on their actual output. What they probably don't have as much information about, especially as a younger team member, is how to be great at the skills surrounding your creative output, how to be great at your job, (laughs) how to give fantastic presentations, how to get experience presenting when you're not the one presenting to clients. Um, how to, I, I like to help people think about ways that they can be better prepared for their meetings to think about, um, how to start developing leadership skills when it's time in their career for them to be thinking about bringing that into their repertoire. So I, I find that the people that I mentor, those are the things where I think they get the most out of that relationship. Uh, in addition to, a little bit of just venting and, and lightweight psychotherapy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe not even lightweight in my experience um, in some of the conversations I've had. But that's interesting because it really, that that is in many ways like nuts and bolts, like, you know, how to behave in a meeting. Let, let's talk through that a little bit. Like, where else do you get that Be- beyond exactly. uh, just observationally? And, you know, I've had, I've worked with plenty of uh, younger, any, any kind of discipline, um, uh, but people younger in their career who have come from cultures uh, uh, in different businesses that don't have, you know, like appropriate meeting behavior, like, right. you know, like, um, so rather getting to the point of some kind of like calling them out or discipline, like a mentoring around, like you're talking over people too much, you know, that, yeah. Kind of, but, but yeah, that real simple, because mentoring always sounds like I will, you know, you've come to the top of the the mountain and like I have all this Let wisdom. Let me give you my wisdom. Here's my wisdom. <laughs> Listen more in meetings. Like, you know, don't talk so much or whatever. Or or speak up. You're, you know, you never either way. But 
Ah, that's really, that's interesting. I like that framing. That's that's really helpful. I find those are the things that they're struggling with. Those are the things that they're churning over in their mind, and they really need another voice. And oftentimes, it's it's also just encouraging in them and letting them know you're in that room for a reason, and your point of view is valid. And if somebody asks you a question, it's because they want to know what you think. You know, it's those kinds of things that people really need affirmation around, as well as a bit of guidance on the appropriate way to do those things. That's great. That sounds really helpful. So uh, we were talking a little bit about working on a diversity of things. I've talked to other designers too who who need to have some kind of practice or craft outside of like the digital work they're doing all day. When you mentioned uh, that you, I would imagine you're, you, you at one point learned to weld and uh, did mm-hmm. a lot of work uh, around that. I, I was wondering, do you do you still do you have s- stuff outside of work that feeds that? I do. We have, I have a small metalworking studio set up in my garage. It's been collecting dust for the past year or so. I did have a baby in February. And so she's been my, my side project, if you will. (laughs) Um, But uh, I do any time I've got downtime, which is a little bit rare. I'm, I do like to make things with my hands. What metalworking can be a little intense and, and it hasn't been my go-to lately. I've been doing more things with fabric and and making things for around the house, which is really fulfilling as well. But yeah, I need both of those creative outputs, the the work mode things, and then the things that I can kind of do mindlessly that are that are just about form and and beauty. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. So um, nourishing, I think is the word. You know, yes. like when you can yeah. really find the time to be able to do that. Uh, well, this has been great, uh, Maria. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your journey and uh, and the stuff that's kind of motivating you. I really appreciate that. Um, if people want to learn a little bit more, where should we send them? Absolutely. You can find me on LinkedIn. It's Maria D'Amato. You could look at my website, mariadamato.com. Or if you want to know a little bit more about GSDNM, it's gsdm.com. Great. I'll put links to all of that uh, in the show notes as well. Um, thanks so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen and this was Presentable. Presentable.